0: You are listening to the Mill Sunday School Podcast. So turn to 1 Corinthians 13. We have Bibles on the table. Uh, we're in this habit of, of not putting the Scripture on the screen to encourage you to turn to it in your own text, whether it's electronic text, that's great, or a physical book-bound uh, Bible. So turn to 1 Corinthians 13. This is a pretty famous passage um, a lot of times it's read at weddings, which is, uh, it's, it's the love passage um, of, that talks about love. And then at the end of that, it talks about knowledge. So 1 Corinthians 13, verse 9, is Paul talking about what we can know. And it's this cool interaction, you'll hear it, between what we know now and what we will know then. And I think the then here, he is talking about at the completion of the world, at the resurrection when we will know God as we are known, um, so it's at the end. So listen to these words, if you will. First Corinthians thirteen nine says, "For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when perfection comes, the partial will pass away." And then it says this: When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. And then he gives another analogy. For now we see in a mirror dimly. If you've ever seen through a dim mirror, you know that you can't see it perfectly. But then, and I think the then is when we, when we will know God. Maybe when we die and we're, our souls are resurrected and we're in the presence of God. I think it says, the Then face to face, excuse me, it says, um, It says, we see now in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then shall I, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. And it's this idea that, that God knows us, and someday when we see God and meet Him, we will know fully just as He has fully known us. And I think that's a pretty awesome thing as, as we study theology here in the Mill Sunday School for the next nine months. We're on this very big uh, topic. Um, we will know in part but someday we will know fully and so it's these parts that we learn today here on earth that 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 make our lives meaningful and we can know we can know in part but we will know fully someday so it's with that that let's let's pray let's welcome god here and god this morning we say to you that we recognize you are already here you are working in our lives you are you are taking us forward in your knowledge of yourself and who you are your son Jesus, the Bible, how how things work on this earth and the universe. God, allow us to worship you fully and allow us to know you better and worship you with a better understanding of who you are. So God, we praise you. We worship you. And everybody screamed. Amen. Amen. Good. All right. Well, I want to tell you a story about impressions, first impressions, introductions. Don't you know that you never get a second chance to make a first impression? And it's very true. Like if you, if you, talk, if you read books, uh, business books, or how to interview books, you will learn a firm handshake, smile, be nice. Don't just talk about yourself the whole time, but ask them questions about themselves. It works for dating too. Like if, if you're going on a date. Um, there's you, you. never have a chance to make uh, a second, first impression, and so I, I just imagine that if dates go well, um, the, the the future is set up to go well. If if a if a date, if your first date goes horrible, can you imagine that going any further? And even, no. <laughs> no, it, it, it does. And, and, and think about maybe not just dating, but meeting someone. Let's say you meet someone at the Mill Sunday School, and let's say they're, they just had a bad day, and they're like, hi, I'm, my name's so-and-so. I hate you. And you're like, wow, cool, great. Well, nice to meet you. How long will it take? Uh, and so they just had a one bad day. They're actually a really nice person, but the time you met them, they seemed really mean. How many other times of meeting them will it take for you to understand that they're actually a nice person? I don't know, 10, 20, hundreds of times to finally come to this conclusion, ah, maybe they're not so mean. So anyways, this bigger point, if you're writing down notes, um, where you begin says something about where you are going. So I I was gonna, I wanna tell you a story about uh, me and my wife. Here's a picture of us. Look at that. This is us. Ah, so precious. This is us on our first date. Um, And and there, there she is, Erica, would you stand up so everyone can see you? Actually, why, why don't you, if you... Wouldn't you rather hear the story from her? Uh, come on up. I, I, she, had, she has no warning that, that she's sharing this morning. Um, so anyways, I have a mic here. Maybe I'll preface the story. So we uh, liked each other. We were both around New Life. This is like 2004. Um, and we, she was in the furnace... And you can't date when you're in the furnace. And so we both liked each other. But it was like this, when was it? January to... May. January May. to May, she was in the furnace. She couldn't date. And then... Uh, and so we were just getting to know each other, like in groups and stuff. And then, so on the night, we gradu- she graduated from the furnace. That's why she's dressed up, because they have this banquet. Uh, anybody ever do the furnace? Any furnace fans? Okay, that's so, I, I no. a few people. So on the night, she was allowed to... Date. I asked her out the week before and, and then we went on our first date. Where did we go?
1: I have to back this up. Okay. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> I did not know this was a date. <laughs> That's a start. <laughs> but Yeah, you did. Look I, at us. I hoped it was a date. <laughs> but didn't I give you flowers? You said th- these were his exact words. Oh, gosh. Maybe we should hang out when you finish the furnace. Is that a date, people? That's a Is that a date? <laughs> so, <laughs> so I. So I here did we not are know. hanging out. I did not know. I did not know. And Joe said, "Well, maybe we'll go to the Broadmoor since we'll be dressed up, and that's the only place you can really go in Colorado dressed up, right?" Yeah. So, we weren't the only ones from the Furnace Banquet at the Broadmoor, <laughs> but it, so we walked
0: was, around. We had was, coffee. I gave her tulips.
1: Yeah, then I thought, oh, maybe this is a day. Or it maybe was. he's just congratulating me on my graduation, <laughs> right? It could be anything. So I, I wouldn't let myself...
0: But hold. then you played a song for me. She okay. wrote it. She had written a song.
1: Oh, we have to back this up so much if you're going to talk about oh. that. <laughs> so I, Joe knew that I liked him um, <laughs> because I told him <laughs> in a letter... Um, because we weren't allowed to talk alone together. You're not even allowed to be alone with someone of the opposite sex. When you're in, in the, the furnace. furnace. But some, First somehow semester. you're
0: allowed to send love letters.
1: Um, it wasn't a love letter. <laughs> 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 this is so embarrassing. So, and, and
0: I gave her no warning. So, so um,
1: yeah. I, I felt like because Joe was on staff that because I had feelings for him, maybe he should know that I had feelings you know, that I had those feelings so that he could decide not to hang around me anymore since he was such a man of integrity. Of course. So yeah. but I was I did kind like of her. writing a letter so that it would be like, okay, this is why I might not see you anymore. But thankfully, it kind of secured my position in his heart, I guess. I didn't know that he liked me. He had liked me since the November before. And so I think I wrote the letter in April, the month before yeah. I finished the furnace. That's about right. So, um, he already knew that I had feelings for him, but he never told me it was reciprocated.
0: Until the first day. Okay, so and then,
1: then Joe <laughs> Joe told me that I could make him a quiz of this is so Joe. If any of you have been going to Sunday school for a while. He's just a teacher at heart. And he told me that I could make a quiz of everything that I wanted to know but couldn't ask while I was in the furnace because we just couldn't have those conversations. And so I made him, like, a multiple-choice, short answer. (laughs) True-false. True-false, like, quiz to take on our first date of everything that I wanted to know. And um, when Joe went on a missions trip to Pakistan the month before, I... Um, graduated from the furnace, and he gave me a list of scripture verse references, and they had no context for me whatsoever. I looked them all up as soon as I got in my car, and I was like, What do these mean? And they didn't make any sense at all. So that was in the quiz. I was like, What do the scripture verse references mean? And he said, Look up the first word of every verse when you get home tonight. So when I got home, I looked him up, and it said, I like you. Oh, so then I knew. Snap. <laughs> oh, it's a good story. <laughs>
0: it's a good story. All right, a round of applause for Erica and our first date. <clears throat> so, anyways, I would say our first date was a success, and so the the idea being, and they're like, "Why are we? What are we doing here?" Well, we're, we're just talking about first impressions and how you start something says something about where you're going and how you're going to end up. So, we are talking about theology in the Mills Sunday School. By the way, for the next nine months, if you're looking at those little bookmarks that are on your table, um, we, are, we have decided to do systematic theology— and take 9 months to do so and we've we're th- this month September being the first month we are doing the introduction it's like we this is like the dating stage of doing systematic theology and guess what in 9 months after going through all nine systematic theological topics we're going to have a baby and that baby's going to be the knowledge of systematic theology in your head So I mean that figurative, but hopefully you're on board. So anyways... um where we begin, so today we we have been setting the framework up for systematic theology if you 've been coming or if you want to listen to the podcasts, you, you could you will learn along about the system of systematic theology, and so today we are really going to begin have a starting point we and in some ways you're like, so we haven't begun yet, no, well, we have begun, but in a way, we've only been setting up framework for our actual beginning point, which will be in a few minutes so um, so anyways just more overview of systematic theology. If you're looking at the bookmarks, there's nine months and nine topics. That is the system of systematic theology, if you haven't been here for a while. And it's very organized. It's very systemized, hence the name systematic theology. And so we are going to be doing systematic theology in a very orderly, structurally, structure. Oriented way that is not just wandering, so that's why if you if you have your notes, um, there's always a sweet quote on the back, kind of this little tabby thing, and the sweet quote is uh, kind of one that I stole and then changed from Tolkien um, that says, "'Not all who wonder are lost, comma, but most are. <laughs> I always think that that's, I don't know, in my head it's kind of like a slam to token and so some of you are like never going to come back to Sunday school again because you're like Lord of the Rings is the best ever and how coming out in December. But I don't mean it as a slam to token but just like obviously the other half of that That's why that statement is so powerful, because most who do wander are lost, and so we won't be lost as, uh, the point being, we won't be lost as we study systematic theology in these, uh, over the course of these next nine months. Um, So we're still at this beginning point of doing theology, and I feel like I'm rambling, so let's move on. Welcome to the Mill Sunday School. Ooh, you're in here, and, and this is Sunday School. If uh, you've never been to the Mill on a Friday night, well, that's that's our main uh, service as college and 20-somethings, um, and so we invite you to come to that. The the Mill Sunday School was kind of uh, figuratively birthed out of the Mill on a Friday night to be this place of gathering for where we can do more in-depth teaching and, and discipleship in, in a way that is um, kind of like the learning of the foundational things that we need uh, we, we as Christians believe and need to know. And so that's kind of who we are as the Mill Sunday School. We are kind of the nerds of the mill. I say that unashamedly and, and proud to be nerds, of course. Um, and so that's a good thing. And so if you're new to the Mill Sunday School, there's these cards on the table. If you fill one out um, and give it to the nice people as you leave in the back, they'll give you a CD that has some worship from a Friday night and a welcome from the, the, the pastor of the Mill, Daniel Grothy. And it's a little gift and just kind of says of who we are, more of the heart of who we are and how to get connected with small groups or you're already here in the Mill Sunday School. So anyways... Um, Let's begin this continuation of the framework for systematic theology before we actually begin. So we're like setting up the frames before we actually pour the concrete. Does that make sense? Anybody ever do concrete work? Okay, sweet. So um, some more of the framework. Someone asked a couple weeks ago this question. Do you remember how many of you were here when we did these uh, note cards? So lots of you were here, and every single table got to uh, make up their team name, and then they asked a question. And then a few weeks ago, what we did was we ordered all the questions. We didn't answer them. We just ordered them. You remember that? Yeah. Okay. Good. And so some of those questions were specifically related to introductions, or the big word prolegomena. Kind of fun to say. You want to say it? Prolegomena. Yeah. And so it just means what we say as an introduction before we say what we're going to say. So one of the questions uh, by a great table, the geniuses. They they named their their team name was the Genius Bar. Um, they asked the question: How is God relevant to life, culture? And society, and I thought this was a prolegomena question, an introduction to theology question. So we're going to answer some of it. So today, in the middle Sunday School, you'll see a few of these cards posted up here. Maybe you didn't know that I was going to scan them and put them up here, so now you're embarrassed that, that of you your handwriting or whatever. Don't be embarrassed. It's a, this is a great question, and it's worded well. And, and how is God relevant to life, culture, and society? And so we'll start here with this question and say, well, that's a great question because it's, it's almost like if God does exist— then then why wouldn't god be the most relevant thing to life culture and society And so maybe in some ways this question is asking, well, how how is the study of God relevant? How can we, in here in the Mill Sunday School, go out after being in the Mill Sunday School and, and make relevant what we now know about God to life, culture, and society? And that's a very important question, but that's not really what the question says. The question is just, how is God relevant? And to that we would have to say, if God is God, if he is who the Bible says he is, the creator of all, maker of all things, then he, the, what you believe about God is maybe the most important thing, the most relevant thing we can think about when it comes to questions of life and culture, society, who we are, where we came from, where we're going, etc. So it's with that that we'll, that we'll kind of go another direction a little bit, Um, still pouring the framework. So we're pouring the framework, excuse me, we're still making the framework before we actually start. And we'll talk about this thing. It's the open and closed-handed issues of um, what we believe. And that's what the cover is. If you saw the cover, you're like, is that two people playing uh, rock, paper, scissors? No, it's open and closed-handed issues. And someone asked, is that the picture of Michelangelo's Sistine Chapel when like Adam and God are pointing at each other? Is like, no, one's closed hand and one's an open hand. So anyways, what does that mean? Well, it's this pretty cool analogy. Raise your hand if you've heard this analogy before. Okay, quite a few of you, cool. Um, it's something that we've talked about at the Mill on a Friday night. I think, the credit, uh, I, I think the credit goes to a guy named Mark Driscoll. Some of you may be big fans of Mark Driscoll, uh, a church pastor, a theologian, who kind of came up with this idea of closed-handed and open-handed Christian issues. And by that, we mean that some issues we close our hand around and we say, okay, these are issues that are are foundational and important, maybe creedal things, like the Nicene Creed, that Jesus is Lord. Oh, we believe Jesus is God. We believe the Bible is inspired. And these would all be closed-handed issues that every one of us as Christians, and if, if you're not a Christian, you're just kind of searching and checking things out, that's cool. You're totally welcome to be in the Mill Sunday School. We love it that you're here. But all Christians everywhere kind of by definition, would have some very similar foundational issues in their closed hand. We would all say Jesus is Lord, God is infinite. And if you're arguing with someone about Jesus being Lord and you're like, Yeah, Jesus is Lord. He's God and that person is like, nah, not so much. You would you would say, well, Let's, let's at least work on the foundation of, of what, who where we're coming from. Um, I'm a Christian, uh, evangelical Protestant Christian, and that's a foundational issue to me. And then maybe they would say, well, I guess I'm not a, a, a Christian like you are. I'm, I'm something else because we're arguing about foundational things. Does that make sense for the closed-handed things? And so you'd close your hand around them. You'd be willing to hold them tight. You'd be willing to, um, um, in, in, in a nice way, fight over these issues and keep them closed closed in your fist whereas the other issues the the issues in your open hand are issues of methodology issues of uh maybe like what color should the carpet be in a church and and we would say Maybe gray, because the World Prayer Center does a gray card. Is that gray? It's just so dirty. I don't know. Anyways, <laughs> it's kind of grayish. So we'd say, oh, those issues, or maybe denominational issues, like, oh, we, we believe that communion should be at every Sunday, and other churches are like, ah, oh, maybe, maybe communion shouldn't be every Sunday, but once a month, or things like that would be methodology uh, issues, and they would be in an open hand. And those are the things that we, as Christians, could debate and talk about, but we're not going to those are issues that we could pick and pull out of and 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 just kind of define them as issues that are not like these ones that are foundational closed handed issues that we would would argue and and say that well if you're you're not holding these issues that are in the fa- the closed hand then then maybe you're not you know, a, a Christian like we are, if you're questioning the Bible being worth anything, if you're saying, yeah, God isn't infinite. He was, you know, maybe just another God created him. You'd be like, whoa, stop. That's, that's kind of weird, man. That's, that's, pretty, that's pretty different than the foundational beliefs that I have. And so, does that make sense? Closed-handed, open-handed? Hopefully, it's a pretty easy idea. And maybe there's some issues in between that, that maybe you'd have like a, like a, maybe your fingers would be around it, but your hand wouldn't be around it. Issues that maybe society is trying to pull away from you, but they're maybe not open-handed and they're not totally closed-handed, they, 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 they may fall somewhere in the middle. I don't mean to say that every issue is either a totally closed or a totally open-handed issue because if you go, if every issue is an open-handed issue, that's classic liberalism. That, that your doctrine is up for grabs, your methodology is up for grabs, anything is up for grabs and, 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 that, and that's, that would be classic liberalism. And if everything is in your closed hand, you're like, carpets must be gray uh, we must have flags around every church. Um, like all these things are like, dude, that's a little crazy. That, and that would be a very extreme view of uh, a classical extreme fundamentalist that every single issue is like blowing up on someone else because, because every issue is in a closed hand. No, some issues, methodology questions, issues should be in an open hand. And doctrine issues, foundational doctrine issues should be in a closed hand. Make sense? All right. Let's discuss it for just a second. Uh, quickly discuss this. And so, at your tables, if you're at a small table, jump into a bigger table, um, if you because bigger's better. And answer this question: What are some clear? And I mean clear, like clear. So don't, don't bring up an issue that's going to be opening up a can of worms just so you could blab about it. No, we're, this is kind of a fun discussion question. It's like, what are some clear, open handed issues for today's Christians? And maybe as a table, come up with like a classical example. This is a classic example of an open handed issue. Cool? All right, ready, cassette? Discuss. Discuss. All right. What are some? Uh, I want you to like yell out your answers as as a table. Maybe I might call on your table, so don't be shy. But but what were some of the classical or classic, clear, open handed issues for Christians today? A frequency of church attendance. Do you come every Sunday? Or are you supposed to? Or are you supposed to come to the mill and Sunday school? And yeah, great question. What else? Worship music. Are we a church that has drums or no drums or musical instruments or no musical instruments? Great. Yeah. Clear. Open-handed issue. That ba- method of baptism, that would be probably be an open-handed issue. Lots of Christians are like, well, we like to baptize families and babies. Other Christians, like New Life, we would say, well, we believe in a believer's baptism. And so once you believe, then you get baptized. But we're not going to call a church that does infant baptisms like a bunch of Satanists. It's like, whoa, no. It's, just, it's, a, it's a methodology thing. It's an open-handed issue. Great example. Yes. Heaven, but what's heaven going to be like? Or maybe in-time stuff, like, oh, the rapture is going to happen then, or pre-trib or post-trib, if you know what those things mean. If you don't, we'll talk about it at the end of this systematic theology lesson. I think we'll be talking about it in May. So, yeah, what else? Anything? The gender of your pastor? Maybe an open-handed issue. Like if, you're, if your pastor is a woman, lots of churches are like, whoa, that's crazy. But we as New Life would never say, yeah, if a church has a woman pastor any on their staff, then they're satanic and evil and you should banish them. It's like, no. And in fact, New Life does have women pastors on our staff. So, yes. Like dating, versus dating versus courting, which I've never even known the difference. Does anybody know the clear difference? I don't know. I guess there's books about it that I need to read. Um, or the statement... Um, I'm going to pursue you. Does anyone like that statement? That's such a weird thing to say. It's, I'm going to pursue you. It's like, well, don't tell me you're going to do it. Do it. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> Sorry. Yes. Maybe last one. Predestination. Yeah. Predestination versus uh, uh, free, free will versus, yeah, free will Versus predestination, Calvinism versus Arminianism, that would be a classic uh, open handed issue that lots of churches and people have have debates over. But it's not a closed handed issue. If someone's like, well, if if you are a Calvinist, then we think you're Satanist and we're never going to talk to you again. It's like, what? No, that's weird. Stop that. Um, It's an open handed issue. Compared to closed handed issues that we would be nice about, but if there was a church in town that's like, oh, we're we're the new Christian, church, but we don't believe in the Bible. And we, be- we also believe in Buddha. And we believe that uh, Satan and his followers are also welcome and true. We would be like, dude, call yourself a gathering, a religious gathering. Don't call yourself a group of Christians because some pretty clear, closed-handed issues are, are, not, being, um, are not being believed in at your church. Does that make sense? Okay, so thank you for giving me clear, open-handed issues. And so my hope for as we go through systematic theology in these next nine months um, is to go through them and say, okay, here's some open-handed issues for each of these, like when we get to creation or Christology or eschatology, here's some open-handed issues, and then here's the issues that are closed-handed. And there's probably going to be fewer closed-handed issues than open-handed issues, because imagine your hand, like if you, did anybody like sunflower seeds? Yeah, me too. So how many, how many sunflower seeds could you hold in your open hand? Well, you could hold a lot. They could be like mounded up to the top if you balanced it well enough. But how many sunflower seeds could you hold if you like held them in your hand and was, was was your hand was totally around them? Well, less. And so the, the analogy being that there's less closed handed issues for each of these topics than there is open-handed issues. And so what we plan to do in the Mill Sunday School is at some point in each one of the months coming up is to talk about the closed handed issues for each one of these topics. Which brings us, finally, to today, where we will talk about the close-handed issues for prolegomena. The close-handed issues for prolegomena, which will begin our beginning point. Everybody say, finally... Thank you. <laughs> so, so all of this month, um, we've been introducing systematic theology. We have been building the framework. And it's at this point right now that we finally are going to begin pouring the concrete, the foundation by which we will begin systematic theology for the rest of the nine months, which is why we originally said, um, we started off today, I, we shared how Erica and I met our first date, because in this, in some senses, that we're finally beginning. We're finally, uh, we've been flirting. And so finally, this is the first date. Are you ready? Okay, point number one. There's just going to be three points. Point number one, we can know some things. <laughs> Turn to your neighbor and say, is that it? Like, the, <laughs> that's it? it yeah, anyways, we can know some things. Now, I don't know that that's groundbreaking to you because you're like, Duh. Which, which we don't, you don't say duh a lot, do you? I think I'm going to try to bring that back. Duh. Um, so yeah, we can know some things. Duh. I don't know that that's a groundbreaking place to start, but it is ground level. It is a ground level place to start. Um, and as Christians, I think all Christians would hold this idea in their, in their closed hand, in this hand, the closed hand and say, we as human beings can know some things. Duh, Right? But there are, there would be people maybe from other religions or other worldviews that would say, no, humans really can't, we can't know anything for sure. We can't really know anything, like maybe a Buddhist or a, maybe not Buddhist, but a, just an Eastern mindset of just like, well, we're just bystanders. We can't really know anything. We are just merely bystanding and being a, being a part of life rather than knowing what it is. Or, or extreme post-modernity, uh, a post-modern worldview, a very extreme one would say, um, that we should be totally fine with wandering and being in confusion, because really we can 't know anything for sure, and so we, we should just kind of be these wanderers who are lost and, and but, but just taking it in and and and, and experiencing it while we can 't know anything but but we as christians don 't you think this, this would be a close handed uh, introductory idea that that we can know something and it 's a very ground level place to start i couldn 't think of a, of a of a lower kind of more foundational place to start than this, just by saying, we can know some things. And there's a lot of things we can know. And I often wonder, how much do we know and how much will we know as a human civilization as we progress? And I thought about this uh, idea. Um, if, you, if you know what this picture is, yell it out. I'd be really impressed. We found this on July 4th, 2012. Um, we found a new particle. Anybody? The Higgs boson. I heard it a couple of times. yes. Yes, nerds forever. Um so this field and I'm not about to begin to explain this uh physics um phenomena of this, this particle that we have found called the Higgs boson particle. And this would be the picture of the Higgs field. Other than to say that um, in 1964, this guy named Peter Higgs was like, there has to be this other type of particle because the, the universe and how things work, it's just, it just missing this piece. We just can't prove it yet. And then a few months ago on July 4th, when you were uh, out of whatever you're doing on July 4th, uh, the news came out that the, the particle has been proven. We've proved that there is the Higgs boson particle. And it's like we found this extra piece of the puzzle of how the universe and things work, which the Higgs boson, and I'm, again, if I'm saying something that's wrong, um, I'm a theologian, not a physicist. So anyways, um, the Higgs boson particle tells us something about how matter works as far as uh, what gives it mass is my understanding. Because I did research it a little bit back in the day, because do you remember when it came out, it was called the God particle? Anybody remember that? You're like, oh, it's the God particle. And people were like talking about it and blogging about it. Some of them were saying, look, it's the God particle. It proves God. And others were like, look, it's a God particle. It disproves God. And then all these other, like the actual scientists were sitting around saying, why are you calling it the God particle? It is, what? Like you stop it. Just stop being dumb. Um, and so, and so I think the media stepped back from the God particle name. Anyways, I researched it a lot because a lot of people were asking me, like, hey, Joe, you got your doctorate? What's the God particle? And I was like, I have no idea. I don't know why they called it that. It's a bad name. Um, but I researched it uh, where I research most of my stuff. I go to YouTube and watch endless hours of YouTube. I probably watch like two hours of uh, anything of, of the Higgs boson um, videos, which I don't know, was pretty fun. Anyways, one of the videos said, oh, it's like we're finding this piece of the puzzle. Like we know neutrons and electrons and photons. And so this Higgs particle is like the, the, the piece of the puzzle that we're missing. And then we're going to know it all, right? And then the, the, everything that I, the, that I was watching was kind of like, well, this is a puzzle piece and a pretty big one, but what if the puzzle piece looks more like this? What if the puzzle piece, when it's added in, actually shows us that there's a much bigger puzzle uh, to the world that that we can come into understanding of and, and that this, like what we know as human civilizations is very, very small. Have you ever thought about that? Like, like what percentage of knowledge do we now have as a human? Human civilization, because we keep learning. And so, you know, how far does this imagination of, of infinite knowledge go? Um, is there an end to it? Can we ever know everything? Kind of like the, the verse that we started off with today, like um, we will know fully just as we are fully known, this idea. So, think about like. Maybe in this room, there's some people like Jordan that knows a lot about biology. There's Aaron Higgins that knows a lot about C.S. Lewis. My wife knows a lot about music. Maybe you're in here and you know a lot about something else. And so th- those, those ideas, like maybe collectively, and then maybe as like a library, if you've ever been into a—anybody ever been in a library? Okay, good. Just, I'm just wondering. Um, they're kind of becoming obsolete because it's like, why don't you just Google it? Why would you show up somewhere and have to—anyways. Anyways, anyways um, so if you've ever been to a library and you've just been in awe about all the books that are there, like, wow, this is—look at all these books and all this knowledge we have about all these different subjects— how big is, you know, like, oh, maybe as a human civilization, we could put together this all this, this knowledge, and we have this puzzle, the, all these jigsaw pieces, and put it together. How big is it? Is it this big, this 24-piece, um, this this tiny little puzzle? Or is it more like this? Is the, the more we learn, um, this is a picture of the biggest jigsaw puzzle ever put together, 1,141,800 pieces, um, took about the whole city block of this city in Ravensburg, Germany, took 15,000 people to put it together. So that's pretty sweet. Um, but what if we're like putting together this puzzle of what we know and it ends up being like this big or even bigger than this? Like what if we put together this puzzle and we realize, wait, there's still more pieces out there. And look, the, the puzzle is like triple, quadruple this. Like how, I don't know. So it's just this question that I often think about. Going back to what we're saying is that we as humans can know something. Pretty, pretty cool, right? What did you learn in Sunday school today? That we can know something. Yes. What a great place to start. So, we can know something. Number two, truth is not relative. The things that we can know, we can know them. And, and they, they are actually um, true. Whereas, um, some people would disagree with that. So, so, number two is truth is not relative. And we could talk to people who uh, might say things like, no, truth is relative. And they might use an example like, oh, okay, you go to somewhere in Asia, like maybe Japan, and the truth is you're supposed to take off your shoes maybe before you enter someone's house. Anybody ever been to Japan? If you have, you took off your shoes before you entered somebody's house because in that culture, that's what you do. And in the United States, well, sometimes you do if, if people have like new carpet but sometimes you don't. you don't. For instance, you didn't take off your shoes, at least most of you didn't, when you came in to the Mill Sunday School. And so maybe in Japan you would. If you were gathering for a religious purpose, you would take off your shoes before entering into um, a religious uh, building. And so anyways, so, so someone that says, no, truth is relative. Look, you have to take off your shoes in Japan. You don't have to take off your shoes here. Look, all truth is relative. And you're like, that's, that's just a bad example because no one is saying everywhere every culture must take off their shoes, and, and it's wrong to not take off your shoes. It's just kind of a, I don't know, it's a weird example because it just doesn't, you're like, well, maybe that's objective to where you are, but it's not just a relative truth. Like, truth isn't just relative to anything, like the culture you're in and the society. There is greater truths, and maybe there are some objective truths, but 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 there is truths that are absolute. And so we as Christians would say that those foundational things that we hold in our hands, there is absolute truth and we can know it. And there's some things we can know. And the things that are in this this, uh, this closed hand, we'd say they're absolute truths. Because um, all that to say, the classic example of, because um, I live in Manitou and there's lots of weird people and lots of, you know, representations of like wizards and Witches and Buddhism and and Hinduism. And so some people may say, oh, whatever you believe is true for you. Anybody ever heard that? And it's a nice thing to say. It's a very Oprah-ish thing to say. Like, oh, you're a Christian. Well, that's true for you and somebody else like they're a buddhist and that's true for them like how nice let's let's all get along and we should all get along we should respect each other and coexist and and not kill each other if if they think differently than us but but this idea that oh buddhism is actually true for them and christianity is actually true for, for you, and uh, maybe a Native American belief is actually true for them. It's like, wait a minute, how can these contradictory things actually be true? Shouldn't we at least first agree that while that may be a nice thing to say, it's it's pretty silly to think that contradictory things can all be at the same time true? Don't you think? And if you're in this room, you'd say, okay, that's, that's a closed-handed issue for us as Christians, because we wouldn't say that, yeah, Jesus died for our sins, um, and, and he is God. But at the same time, if, if you, um, I don't know what religion is up here, music. If you believe in music, you'll also be saved, which is weird. Like, out of all the religions, and then there's like a music symbol? What is that? I don't know. <laughs> Whatever. So it's not like, oh, music will save your soul, and Jesus will save your soul, depending on what you believe. If you believe in Jesus, well, then that's true for you. But if you believe in music, well, that's true for you. It, it's all the same. It's like, no, it's not all the same. There, there's, there's, there's absolute truth in this world, we would say. It, just the way things are, and something is either true or false, or maybe half false, maybe a quarter false and three quarters true. That's, that's, that's possible as well. But there is truth, and there is um is falseness. And these uh, the, the team name Three Wise Women, pretty cool name, uh, asked this question a couple weeks ago. Their team name was Three Wise Women. And they asked what's the difference between relative and objective truth. And I spent a lot of time researching this. And I spent a lot of time um, coming to find out that lots of people have Uh, Like these these words that go before the word truth, like natural truth and subjective truth and relative truth and provisional truth and uh, objective or absolute or eternal truth and, and or these two relative versus objective truth and i found out that lots of people are saying lots of different things about each one of these like there there seems to be no agreement whatsoever about what the difference between uh, what the difference between natural or subjective or objective or propositional truth is it seems like there's just lots of conversations because no one is is willing to say truth is truth um, besides maybe us as christians we would say there is this perspective. So we would say this maybe as Christians, we'd say there is this perspective from God and maybe we can't know it fully, but there is this perspective from God's perspective that that there is things, there are things that are totally true. And we may only see in part, maybe we see dimly as in a mirror, like the verse we read today, but there is truth and it will be known as the verse said, we will know uh, just as we are fully known. And so, Anyways, point one was we can know some things. Point two was there the, those things that we can know. There is absolutes that we can know absolute truth. Um, and point number three is this, and this is the third and last point, that God has revealed himself. And so we can know some things, there is absolute truth, and God has revealed himself. And so I have another discussion question for you um, to think about. And it's, it's maybe a personal question, um, or maybe a heady question, depending on your, your take, uh, either is totally fine. So the discussion question for your tables is maybe to talk about how God has revealed himself to you. So I worded it this way. What is the most significant way God has revealed himself to the people at your table? So maybe go around. There's not enough time to, for everyone to take 10 minutes because we only have, uh, what do we have, 10 minutes left? So we're just going to take like maybe three or four minutes here and just share maybe how God has revealed himself to you. And your answers in your table may be radically different from each other, and that's perfectly fine. But um, discuss that, would you? Ready, cassette, discuss. All right, if um, I could interrupt your conversations. I know they're important. Um, How many of you said the Bible is a way that God has revealed himself to you through reading scripture? And great, yeah, lots of you have. And, and some of you are like, no, my answer was a lot different than that, but that's fine because God reveals himself differently to different people. I think in some ways, the Bible is, and we've talked, we could talk months about this. I think we have talked months about how God reveals himself and how truth is revealed through Scripture. A couple of months ago, you could podcast that we did a series on the Apocrypha, the books that are in the Bible, books that aren't in the Bible, compared to them with the books that are in the Bible, and how, those, how the books that are in the Bible speak to us differently than just knowledge that is not in the Bible. And so this is a great way that we as Christians can have to understand who God is and how he is revealing himself to us. And a few weeks ago, someone asked this question, which is very relevant for this. Uh, Their their team name was Team Peace, not War. Cool name. Uh, How was the order of the books of the Bible decided? That was their question, which I would say falls into a prolegomena or introduction to theology question, because it has to do with the Bible, and the Bible is our, one of our best sources for how we know who God is, theology and end times, and Christology, soteriology, study of the church, study of the Holy Spirit. And so how did we get the, what's the question, how did we get the order of the books that were in the Bible? Well, in some ways, um, there, there are different Bibles that have different orders, same books, but different orders, um, and, and that's totally fine. The books that we now have in the order that they are in, kind of, for the most part, came from uh, early to kind of later church history, um, kind of pretty much decided by the Middle Ages of what books went in what order. Um, The Old Testament, of course, by the Jews, and the New Testament by the early church, and people saying, oh, these are the four gospels, let's put them together, kind of just like, just because they're similar, and then uh, the the Acts goes with Luke, and so we'll put that next, and then letters, and then the order that they just kind of fell into seems to be just kind of like an evolution of the order. But the books that are in there, um, I think if you go back and listen to the entire month that we did on the Apocrypha, you will find that the books that are in there, we can say as Christians that the Holy Spirit spoke to those people who wrote them. The Holy Spirit spoke to the people who first read them. The Holy Spirit spoke to those people who copied them on and spoke to the early church as they received them and said, this is scripture. Let's continue to pass this on. And so the Bible is... Uh, a great way that we have uh, of God revealing himself to us. Did anybody say Jesus as the way God has revealed himself? Yeah, a couple people. Sweet. Um, Here's a painting by Lorenzo Lotto, a high Renaissance painter, who portrays uh, Joseph and Mary uh, with Jesus in the little basket manger thing. And we would say as Christians that God himself came to this earth, was born a virgin, and has revealed himself to us in this like logos way. Like this idea of a logos is when you have this idea and and you, you speak it out and the other person understands what it is. Well, Jesus is like this bridge between who God is and how we understand God. And so he's the logos. And so... We would say that Jesus is this representation, uh, a perfect representation, God on earth, and he is revealed, God has revealed himself by coming down and, and, and dying on a cross, and that's what's cool about this painting is that Jesus on the cross is, is back there in the, in the, in the background. So um, anyways, anybody else say creation? God has revealed himself in creation. Creation. Anybody? Yes, I see those hands. Sweet. And I would say, I would agree the same thing. I think last week we, um, I talked about the proofs for the existence of God. um, The five proofs that Thomas Aquinas gives about the cosmology and that, um, if there is motion, there has to be uh, uh, someone who put it into motion, an unmoved mover. Um, there has to be, um, if there's cause, there has to be an uncaused causer, ultimately. And I, I think I gave you these. Uh, if you, if you, um, I printed off his, Thomas Aquinas' proofs for the existence of God, and I put it on our uh, the Mill Sunday School has a Facebook page now, and I put it on there and you, so you could look at it, and it's, it's, if you want to read it, it's very heady reading, but it's proofs from the existence of God by looking out and seeing, wow, awesome, like, we could talk about um, how the mountains were formed, maybe, and how grass grows, but what started it all? With There there comes to this point where it's just like, a big bang? And then it's like, well, what caused that big bang? A bigger bang? Um well, what caused that? At some point, there's like, okay, there had to have been this unmoved mover, which is one of the proofs for the existence of God, which someone named Team Habakkuk a couple of weeks ago asked, how, can we, uh, how do we know that God exists? Well, there is proofs for him. There is the Bible. There is creation. There is something called the moral law theory, which is anybody a C.S. Lewis fan? Whoa, lots of people. Uh, how many of you have read Mere Christianity? Lots of you. Uh, My wife's currently reading it. It's a great book. I have copies of the first chapter uh, which I'm allowed to print because it's less than 10% of his work and I printed them out and so I'll leave them up here but it's for you to come get them, and then maybe you'll love the first chapter of Mere Christianity so much that you'll go out and get the book because it's awesome. But C.S. Lewis takes you on this journey. He says there's moral law. People people everywhere would agree that there's some sort of morals. Like you don't just be mean to someone for no reason. Um, everyone would agree on that. Um, you be nice to people. That's, that's just this guiding principle that, that has this morality in everyone's life. And sure, some people are hardened to that, but we would say as a human civilization that there are morals. And so C.S. Lewis goes into this awesome argument that, that lasts for the first three chapters and says, if there's moral law, then there has to be a moral law giver. And so that's another proof for the existence of God. And then finally, there's this idea of just just knowing God based upon this idea that there's something missing in your life. Uh, um, It was Augustine that said, uh, that first said that inside every human is this God shaped hole in your heart that only God can fulfill. So, did anyone while you were discussing say, I just know that God exists because I I know him and I I, I talk to him and I just feel and I just know, I just know it in my knower is a funny way to say it. Um, this idea that, that, that we pray to God, who we believe is there. And we've, we've, at different times in our life, felt him and heard a still voice or have experienced him in beauty or in art or in music. It's like, God is speaking to me here in this worship. And I just know that I know that, that God has revealed himself to me because I just know it deep down. And we are spiritual beings, not just physical beings. And so, kind of there, there we have it. Um, these are the three points we talked about. This is our official starting dating theology. That's a weird, is that a weird analogy? But yeah, you're just like, you stopped using that analogy. It's weird on every level. Apologize, especially since I said like in nine months, because theology is nine months, we're going to have a theological baby. Like, if I could take that back, I probably would. Um, sometimes you're up on stage and you just kind of ramble out something that makes, it's just like this clear, but yeah, a theological baby, of course, makes sense. Anyways, uh, Probably pretty disturbing. So this is what we talked about today. This is our official pouring the concrete moment when when we say as Christians, uh, and I'd say all three of these are close-handed issues that we can know some things. That truth is not relative, and that God has revealed Himself, which sets us up perfectly for next week, which will begin uh, the month of October, where we will study theology proper, specifically the the study of God Himself. And so let's close with where we opened today which is 1 Corinthians thirteen nine through 12, if you want to turn there and read it again. Um, we, read, we started off, and so we'll end it with this reading. It says, For we know in part, we prophesy in part, but when perfection comes, the partial will pass away. And when I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child, but when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part... Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. So, Lord, we do come to you and we, we praise your name. We thank you for scripture, for revealing yourself to us through creation, through, through moral law that's inside of us all, through just knowing it deep down that, that, that there is a creator and we can somehow know you and you can know us. And that someday we will know fully. We will know just as fully as we are known by you. So God, we praise you. We, we thank you that we can study theology and begin to know things and you've revealed it to us. So God, we praise you. We leave here just honoring your name. And everybody said, Amen. All right, everybody. You're dismissed. Peace out. We'll see you next week when we start theology. Thank you for listening to the Mills Sunday School podcast. You can find more information at www.themillonline.org.